Some are still coming in. Yeah, did you like this? I found it. I'm like, okay, that's got to be my opening, opening slide. What's in the freezer, Illinois? And so, again, today, I don't know if you heard, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, an ice warning. So, yeah, we'll be back in the freezer um, this evening. All right, let's jump in. Session three, the why behind our idols. On day two, our author says, this is on page 47 and 48, how much more peaceful and blessed the situation would have been if Sarah had trusted in and waited on the Lord to fulfill his promise instead of manipulating the circumstances. Who would ever do that? When God doesn't meet the very real needs we're living with on our timetable and terms, we tend to complicate the process. We often abandon trust in the one true God. There is a key conjunction between two verbs here. Do you see them? Trust and wait. Trusted and waited. The connection is so strong that I really believe it's more of an if-then scenario. Where if I trust God, then I will wait on God. If I do not trust God, then I will not wait on God. In day four homework, which today you're going to do all five days together in your small groups. I'm tying it together here in the lecture this morning. In day four, she says, um, when God is silent, is what she titles today. And on page 53, sometimes we sense God more palpably in our lives than at other times. When his presence feels more distant... If not completely gone, we must resist the temptation to substitute the tangible things that we can touch and feel for the God we temporarily can't sense. I want to marry these two thoughts and talk today about trust and wait, even when God, and I put in quotes, is silent. Because I think more times than not, it's when we feel like God is silent, when we don't feel him okay i think a lot of times this when you when i read this i think of like a holding pattern in an airport do you has anyone well if you've flown out of o'hare you have you have experienced a holding pattern are any of you in a holding pattern in real life right now i am yeah let's pray together Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you um, again and again for the gift of your word, for the gift of your living word, and for the gift of your spirit who we're trusting to teach us today. We open our minds and our hearts and our ears to you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now when I say Joseph from the Old Testament, what comes to mind? I'll wait you out. Okay, the coat. Yeah, for a lot of you... Maybe you thought of the coat of many colors. We actually find Joseph's story in Genesis 37 through 50 in the Old Testament. And Joseph was Jacob's 11th son, and he was his father's favorite. He was not his brother's favorite by any stretch. Uh, and there's several reasons why. It wasn't just the coat. Jacob sent Joseph out to check on the boys watching the flocks, and basically Joseph was a tattletale. And Scripture tells us this in Genesis 37 too. He came back and told Jacob some of the bad things the brothers were doing. Then the coat, of course, didn't help. And we find in 37 verse 4, it says this, 
the brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. And then to top it off, Joseph has some pretty prophetic dreams of power over his family, and he thinks it's like a good idea to tell his family the dreams. So he does, and again, this doesn't help the already strained sibling rivalry. So then when Jacob sends Joseph again to go check on the brothers, uh, the brothers see Joseph coming. Who could miss him? He's in the coat, right? And so as he's approaching, they come up with a great idea to kill him. And Reuben, the oldest brother, says, uh, why don't we just throw him in a well? And Scripture says his plan was to come and get him out later. I don't know, had he thought past that? Like, then, you know, whatever. We don't know the past that. But what happens is they take the coat off and throw him down in a well. And they're sitting and eating dinner. And in another part of Scripture, it says, while, while Joseph is screaming in the well, they're having dinner. And they see some Ishmaelite traders coming. And so they get a great idea. Hey, we can make some money off of this deal. So they hoist him out of the well, and they sell him to make a profit to these Ishmaelite traders who are heading to Egypt. Now, the brothers then go and kill a goat and dip the, Joseph's robe in the blood and then they go back home and they show Jacob the robe and they deceive the father into thinking that his favorite son has been killed and eaten by some wild animal. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, here is Joseph being sold. Now, remember, the Ishmaelite traders were on the way to Egypt. So now they're in Egypt and Joseph gets sold to a high-ranking Egyptian, Potiphar, and actually becomes supervisor of Potiphar's household. Now, it is going stellar for Joseph, if you can call that. Remember, he's a slave, okay? So stellar for a slave. He's in charge until Potiphar's wife becomes attracted to Joseph and falsely accuses him and he of rape and ends up in jail. Now, here he is in prison, and two of Pharaoh's employees also kind of upset Pharaoh, so they end up in prison with Joseph. Now, these two guys have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. And one of the guys is going to die, and one of the guys is going to live. And the one that's going to live, Joseph says, hey, will you tell Pharaoh about me? Will you remember me? And he's like, sure, we'll do. But he gets out and has like amnesia or something and forgets about Joseph for two more years. Joseph is in prison. By the way, when he's in prison, he's put in charge of the prison too. So he, now he's in charge as a prisoner slave. But he's in prison for two more years. Then Pharaoh has these dreams. And ah, ding, ding, ding. You know, it jogs his memory. And he says, I know a guy. And he's down in prison. So Joseph gets cleaned up in prison, gets brought up, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him with the help of God. And so the dreams come true, just as God tells Joseph to tell Pharaoh. Joseph gets put in charge of the famine relief plan because for 14 years, God has told Joseph to tell Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of good times and seven years of bad times. So Joseph is put in charge now, second only to Pharaoh himself, of this massive famine relief plan. 
And it affects more than just their little area. It's broad. And who is affected but Joseph's family? So all those brothers and his dad. So Jacob sends the boys to Egypt to get food, just like everyone else was doing all over everywhere. So they come, they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph hides his identity from him, from them for a while, and ends up, he does reveal himself, gets to see his father again, has the boys bring his father to him. Now, I, again, you can read the whole story. That was kind of a pretty shrunken version, but you can read it in just a few chapters in Genesis. You can start in 37 and read to 50. But I want to stop here and ask not just a so what question, like, you know, the first one I wrote was, what does Joseph's story teach me? And I had to stop, and I thought, you know what? Let's take the focus off of me, and let's even take the focus off of Joseph, and let's just look at what this teaches us about God. Okay? So what does this teach us about God? The first thing that I learn about God is God is with me. He will never leave me, no matter the circumstances. And look at all of Joseph's different circumstances. In a well, as a slave, in a prison, etc. Listen to a few verses from Genesis, and I've tried to highlight them here. Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph. And this is talking about as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And it says again, the Lord was with Joseph. And then in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love and then in verse 23 the lord was with him now this is not just an old testament concept this comes straight forward into the new testament and into today jesus promises this is jesus speaking in john 14 and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you so god is with me another thing that i learned about our wonderful good god is god is working not only is he with us, he is working. Listen to Genesis 45. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers, by the way, after he has revealed himself to be Joseph the brother. He says, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here. Do you hear? Not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now, this is hindsight, right, that Joseph is speaking here. So in hindsight, we know Joseph recognizes God's hand. During it, we're, we're not all the way sure. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know Joseph continued with God because Joseph credited God with his abilities the whole time. And you can read that in Genesis 41, in verse 16, 25, 28, 32. We also know that Pharaoh acknowledged God's hand. In jo so that had to have also come from Joseph acknowledging the hand, right, of God. You can read that in Genesis 39, verses 3 through 6. A sampling of the verses that show Joseph believed and trusted God even before. So it wasn't just a hindsight thing. Let's look at a few in Genesis 40. Verse 8, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph said. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And then in 
uh, chapter 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. So you see the relationship that is there with Joseph and God, not just in hindsight. And again, this God is working, not just an Old Testament con uh, concept. Look what Jesus says in John. My father is always working, and so am I. And then look at the promise to us in Philippians 1. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So God is with me, God is working, and God is trustworthy. He's not just working, he is working for good. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Genesis 50, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And then again in the New Testament, you know, lest we just think these are Old Testament concepts, right? In Romans 8, 28, excuse me, we see... We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. And again, please never forget the, the context of this placable. What happens right before this verse is suffering is described so deeply that we can't even pray. And the Holy Spirit steps in and pray for it, prays for us. And then what happens right after this verse is this beautiful description of the truth that nothing will ever separate me from God's love. And there's a whole list of specifics, and nothing is left out. You can read that. And right in the middle of suffering, and nothing's going to separate me from God's love, is the verse that all things work together for good. Okay? All right, let's keep going. So what now what? What am I to do with what I know, what I have learned from God's word about who God is? God is with me. God is always worth working. God is trustworthy. And this next one is an, not an if-then statement. Because we would like to think from a human perspective, if God is with me, always working and trustworthy, then I will understand what he is doing. That It's not that. It's another conjunction. Where's Julie? Don't you love this lesson? You know, it's another conjunction. Did you did y'all learn it? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have an, it's another conjunction here. Because I think it's more accurate to say, God is with me. God is always working. God is trustworthy. And I won't always understand what he is doing. And I think we mess up there sometimes when we think in the if-then scenario. Because that's just not true. And we know that's not true from Scripture. Look at Proverbs. The Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? The pressure is off of us to understand what he is doing and how he is doing it and how he is going to do it. This is God speaking in Isaiah. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
So what do I do when I don't understand? And that is a when, that is not an if. That's not a if I don't understand God some point in my future. That is a when. When I don't understand God, what am I to do? There is a beautiful song by Babby Mason. Trust his heart. It's on the handout on the back of the reference to it, so you can listen to it in its entirety. This is just an excerpt, but the song is full of scripture, just chock full of scripture. These are some of the words. All things work for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see him, remember, you're never alone. He alone is faithful and true. He alone knows what is best for you. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. So when I don't understand, and that is a guaranteed win, when I don't understand, I am still to trust him. I am to lean into the truth of who God is. How do I do this? By leaning into the truth of who God is, as the song says, trust his heart. When I can't see his hand, trust his heart. When I feel like God is silent, trust his heart. Which is another phrase for lean into the truth of who God is. And how do I know who God is? You, I think in questions. I hope you are thinking in questions too as you're listening today. Well, how do I do that? Well, one sure way is God's word in the Bible, right? That's why we're doing Bible study. That's why you're here. The lovely, the lovely ladies beside you are happy you're here too and you can say hello and all of that. But we're actually here to learn about the author, to know him more. Here are a few examples. I just picked a few of who we know God from his word to be. Consider first God's description of himself. This is God speaking. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I want to stop here. And if you are struggling with, yeah, but it's hard to like see God to to know him in that way today, I encourage you to look at Jesus. Look in the New Testament. Read some of the Gospels. Maybe start with John in the Gospel because there, there there's a, a, a beautiful part of Scripture where Philip asked Jesus, show us God. And Jesus actually answers, you're looking at him. In better words than my words, but that's what he says. Um, and then in John 1.18 John says, um, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So perhaps begin reading uh, in the Gospels and just look at Jesus and you will get a picture of God. Back to this Exodus scripture, God's description of himself. Who is he? What does he say? What do you see here? I'm going to start you and we're just going to say God is, and you're going to fill in a word. So you might have to adjust some of these words, okay? God is compassionate. What else do you see? God is 
merciful. God is slow to anger. God is filled with unfailing love. Isn't that beautiful? You just think about that all day today, and it actually will change your day. God is filled with unfailing love. God is filled with faithfulness. God lavishes. What, what a beautiful word. God lavishes. Look, Stand up and show him your sweater. Look at this sweater. It's got hearts all over it. It's like that's what God does. He just like all over us, hearts, right? God lavishes unfailing love. So generous. He heaps it on us. God is forgiving. Romans 8. This is the scripture I was referring to earlier. This will be read at my funeral. Again, if I tell enough people, somebody will make sure this is read at my funeral. I love the list. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. You can read it. Meditate on that. No one, no human, no other God loves you like that. There's not another one. An unconditional, faithful, perfect, everlasting love. Wow, just wow. And regarding God's work, God is able. Now, Genesis 18, the context here, this is the Lord speaking to Abraham after telling him that Sarah would be the one to have Abraham's baby. Genesis 18, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And, of course, he did, and she did, because God said, and that's how God works, right? Now, this next one, God is predicting Jerusalem's fall through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 27. By the way, all these scripture references are on your handout. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? One more, my favorite Old Testament Bible story is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And actually, Kelly's going to talk about them later. But I don't want you to miss this part of the story because she doesn't talk about it. And it's my favorite part of the whole story. It, it, just to catch everybody up, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's made this rule. Everybody's going to bow down and worship me, and he even has this statue. And, and so, you know, they're supposed to be like Pavlov's dog when they hear the bell. Everybody's supposed to do this. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they worship the one true God, and so they refuse to do this. Well, it, it angers the king so much. It actually, the Bible uses the words, he's in a rage. That's how angry he is at these three guys. So he calls them in, and this is what he says to them. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Did you see? The three guys are certain, rock-solid certain, that God is able. The even if he doesn't phrase is not talking about even if he isn't able. 
That's saying even if he doesn't, replying to if God chooses to save them out of the furnace or not. But they know he's able. Notice that second part of verse 17 says, He will rescue us from your power. So dead or alive, what these three men are in the face of death, what these three men are saying is regardless of if God chooses to rescue us out of the fire, he will save us from your power. How? Because we're not going to bow to your power. We're not going to bow to your statue that you made. Why would we do that? We know the one true God who is able to save us. So they didn't know how God's hand was going to work. They, he, they didn't know that he was going to come down there in the furnace with them. And that I, it says their, their binding was gone. And they didn't smell like smoke. And their hair wasn't even singed. I love thinking about this story. And like, so did, did God, and, and many think it's in the form of Jesus even, appeared in the furnace. We know that. There were four in the furnace. We just don't know exactly who the fourth was. But, like, did he come up and say, let me get that rope for you and untie their hands? Or did he just go, ropes be gone? Or did he just look at the ropes and go, you know, I, I don't know. But the ropes are gone when the guys get out of the furnace. The ropes are gone. Their hair doesn't smell like smoke. I mean, their hair's not even singed, and they don't even smell like smoke. And the guys that threw them in, by the way, the furnace was so hot because the king cranked it up, they died throwing them in. Isn't this the coolest story? Isn't that the coolest story? But don't miss the point. The three guys knew God was able. And they trusted God with their life, with whatever he chose to do with his hand. And that's what made them sure that King Nebuchadnezzar, we will never be under your power. I love this story. Okay, so you can read about that one too. That's my favorite Old Testament story. I have a favorite Old Testament, a favorite New Testament. That is my favorite Old Testament story. I'm so off of it here now. Let's see. Okay. Uh, Daniel 3, 28 through 30. Look at, we're going to see this connection again. Praise to the God. Th this is the king now. Because when they come down and see him walking around in there, he gets a little frightened and has them come on out. So he pulls the guys out, and this is what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Then he makes this kind of ludicrous command. And then at the end he says, There is no other god who can rescue like this. All right, in the front of my favorite journal at home, and I just took a picture of it so you may not be able to see it, but it says two things in the front cover besides happy birthday to me. That's what it says on the top. Number one, do you get yourself birthday presents? I do all the time. I love to do that. I know I like it. <laughs> Sometimes I get two. Number one, God loves me. Number two, God is able. Truly all, and I put all in caps, all I need to believe with all this daily earth stuff as I follow Jesus right on up to heaven. If I believe those two things, God loves me and God is able, that is it. I can deal with all the earth stuff because I know the truth that God loves me and God is able. God's word is full of the truth about him. Look at just one more truth with me. So many. Um, just one more. We'll do just one more. In day two of your homework, 
Kelly says this. It's entitled Meeting a Need. And she says, Need. Many of us run to idols because we're convinced they'll meet our needs. I want you to look in the New Testament at Paul's description of God in Acts. In Acts, he says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Does that, just stop there, does that remind you of an Old Testament verse? Anybody? What about Psalm 23, verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd, thou shalt not want. Another version says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He satisfies every need. Isn't that beautiful? No other God does this. So God loves you perfectly, faithfully, eternally. God is able. God satisfies every need. We could go on and on. We could just sit here on and on. I left actually, I think, six blanks on your handout. This would be a beautiful way to start your prayer time in your groups because I guarantee anything you fill that blank in, a truth that God has shown you who he is, is a cause for praise. All right, so what, now what? I won't always understand what God is doing. When I don't understand, I'm to lead into the truth of who God is. I can trust God. So one question for me from Joseph's life is, do I trust God? It seems to flow logically, doesn't it? I I am a logical person. I, I love logic. I love math was my favorite subject in school. And algebra with all the proofs was my all-time favorite. So this flows so logically, doesn't it? God is with me. God is working. God is trustworthy. Therefore, I can trust God. But do I trust God? And as I wrote that question down, I, I immediately began answering for myself. I had to keep adding phrases, more questions. Do I trust God completely? with everything and everyone in my life, more than I trust anyone else or anything else. No compartments. Am I trusting God with all my life? What about with the lives of those I love? Am I trusting him? I I look out here, I see Amy, who has two boys serving. Boy, I tell you, you couldn't walk around if you weren't trusting God with those that you love. I know that. We've got to trust him with those that we love. What about right now, today? Am I trusting God? Joseph did not know the rest of the story. Remember that. Sometimes it's hard because we read the Bible and we like know the rest of the Joseph did not know the rest of the story, yet he knew God, which led to his trusting God, which resulted in his obedience to God, which allowed him to wait on God for years, even in a well, even in a trade caravan, even in a dungeon. And you can put even, you can fill in that even with even, even, even in your own life, and it's still true. Lean into him. Trust the one true God. Do not turn to any other false God. From last week in the front of my notebook, I told you I had put some scriptures there. And one of them was Hosea 14, 8, O Israel, and I had changed it to O Rhonda. And this morning I want to change it to O Dear Ladies. Hosea 14, 8, O Dear Ladies, stay away from idols. God is the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. The foundation of living out, waiting on God, is what I believe. 
I must believe the truth that God is with me. God is working and God is trustworthy. God loves me. God is able. There is something most of us see or use every day that can be a reminder of who our great God is and that we are to trust him. That is our response. We are to trust him. Anybody know what I might be thinking of? Something you see every day? In God We Trust is on our money. I, I wish it was on our credit cards because I think we spend credit cards more than we spend our money. But it's on our coins in God We Trust. So I challenge you today, when you spend your money, let it be an opportunity for you to affirm to God that you trust him, that you know the truth about him, that he is with you right then looking at your penny. He is working, and he is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. Maybe put your penny uh, in the bottom of your purse, and you'll touch it sometime when you're trying to find. You know, they need to make a purse with a zipper on the bottom, right? Because everything's always in the bottom, so then we can flip our purse over. (laughs) So maybe in the bottom of your purse, maybe in your kitchen, maybe where you get ready in your bathroom. on your Do whatever you want to with your penny, but let it be a reminder. Psalm 62, 5 through 8 says, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. And there is the connection again with the conjunction. Do you see it? Trust and wait. Trust and wait. There is a book that I was going to do the lecture on this book, and I already hit 30 minutes, so I canceled the rest of the lecture. But it came from this book, Seven Spiritual Gifts of Waiting, and it's also on your handout. Uh, dear friend, Ruth Nelson, gave it to me uh, and I, several years ago, and I'd only read parts. And so in January, I read the whole thing. Uh, very interesting book. And so all, all seven of the spiritual gifts, I did write them on your handout. So if that sparks your interest and if you'd like to read the book you can come um, get it up here I'd be happy to uh, lend it to you as we close today I I always hate when somebody puts something up and we're just supposed to repeat it so I'm not asking you to repeat anything you just heard what I'm going to ask if you are wanting desiring in your life to trust him and to wait on him because you know God is with you and working and trustworthy, then please stand with me and read this scripture. And all I did was make it a little more personal. Let's pray together. Let all that I am wait quietly before you, for my hope is in you. You alone are my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from you alone. You are my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. I trust in you at all times. I pour out my heart to you, for you are my refuge. Amen. Thank you, ladies. You're dismissed.